0: We are a week past Resurrection Sunday. Last week, we celebrated the greatest event in all of recorded history. The most important day ever is what we celebrated last Sunday. Would you agree with that? Yes. So we're looking at a. This is kind of Easter part two, and we're looking at kind of an extension of that, meaning it's the most important day last week. But G- Jesus gave most important instruction, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. I'd like you to open up your Bibles to Matthew, the last chapter, chapter 28. We celebrate the most important day in all of recorded history, and now we're looking at the most important instruction, starting with Matthew, verse 16, chapter 28. When you're there, say amen. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Verse 18, Jesus came and he told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands, I have given you and be sure of this I'm with you always even to the end of the age now Bible students and scholars call this particular passage what The the Great Commission and it's great because of who said it these are Jesus's last words they're great words because Jesus spoke these words I want you to think about something we've jumped ahead some 40 days we celebrated Jesus' resurrection last Sunday. The world calls it Easter. We call it Resurrection Sunday. And after Jesus rose from the grave, he was, as John recorded in the Gospel of John, on the earth 40 days after his resurrection doing ministry. In fact, the Gospel of John says Jesus did so many miracles, so many things that he did, there's not enough volumes of books to contain and write down all the things that Jesus did. So for some 40 days, Jesus was still doing ministry after he rose from the grave. Being dead three days, rose from the grave on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, on planet Earth, doing ministry for some 40 days. And it culminates, it culminates with him gathering his disciples together and giving them instruction. How many of you know this? that the last words someone says to you, a loved one would say to you, you want to pay attention. They're probably the most important words, aren't they? You you certainly want to pay attention. I want you to think about this. If you knew when your moment was up and you gathered your family, your friends together, you would probably choose your words very carefully, right? So these were Jesus' words to the disciples. And may I add that uh, not just those words 11 disciples. Remember, he lost one, right? Judas. Not just the 11 disciples, but when I say, or the scriptures talk about disciples, that includes us. Us meaning followers of Jesus Christ. Can you say us? Us. Can you say me? Me. How about disciple? disciple? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are in fact a disciple. So these very words that Jesus speaks, his last words are to. Us. And they're great words because Jesus spoke them. And, and listen, whether you are a, a believer, a Christian or not, the world would say that the words of Christ are meaningful, at least at the very least, they'd say they're meaningful. And yet Christians believe that Jesus spoke words of life, in fact, eternal life. And so I want to share with you, I'm actually going to share with you right now, a portion of a sermon that I found that was written in the 19th century and I found it fascinating. It's by James Allen Francis. He was a famous pastor and he puts in words so eloquently and very simply and clear about what Jesus, the kind of impact, I should say, that Jesus had on the world. Think about this and listen to this. He says, here's a man who was born in an obscure village. We know that to be Bethlehem as the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another obscure village, which in reality it was. It was Nazareth he grew up in. He worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. And then for three years, he was was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never owned a home. He never had a family. He never went to college and therefore didn't have student loans. <laughs> he never put his foot inside a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He never did one of these things that, that has just been mesh, 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 mentioned Excuse me, that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself He had nothing to do with this world except the naked power of his divine manhood. While still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. He's talking about Jesus. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. Another one betrayed him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed upon a cross between two thieves. His executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on the earth while he was dying, and that was his coat. When he was dead, he was taken down, and he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Now, keep in mind when this was written, he goes on to say, 19 white centuries have come and gone, and today he's the center of the human race and the leader of a column of progress. Then he says, I am far within the mark when I say that all the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that were ever built, all the parliaments that ever sat, and all the kings that have ever reigned, put together, have not affected the life of man upon the earth as powerfully as this one solitary life, Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? That's who our sa- yeah. Give the Lord a hand this morning. The words that we just read in Matthew chapter 28 are Jesus' last words. We get that. But they're vitally important to all of us. They're they're amazing words. They're Jesus' last words. And as I shared with you, last words are important. You want to pay attention. They're important. But in that great commission, when Jesus says, guys, here's what I want you to do. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Here's what I want you to do. I I want you to continue to teach what I've been teaching. I'm going to empower you to do what I had been doing the last three years. And I want you to tell everyone you know about Jesus and those who accept me and follow me, who become believers, I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And listen. I'm with you. Don't worry about it. I'm with you every step of the way till the end of the age. When I bring everything to a conclusion, I am with you. And in that, you see it, there's an invitation there. The Lord of glory invites us to be partakers with Him in what I would say is a great opportunity. He says, come, come and join me in this. Don't sit on this knowledge. I want you to join me in this great, task of changing the world one person at a time, one person at a time. Each one of us, think about it. I mean, simple math here. Each one of us can have an easy influence on at least one person. Can you imagine if you invited, uh, this is Church Growth 101. If each of you brought someone back to church with you next week, just one person, we would double in size Yeah, I mean, that's simple math, right? We'd have to probably add more services and make Pastor Steve work a lot harder, right? (laughs) But I want you to know we have a, a great, 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 great privilege of joining the Lord in His work in advancing the kingdom. And simply stated is this, just letting people know how much God loves them, that He has a purpose for their life, a meaning to their existence. Now, I want to share a couple of points with you, and the first one is this. Believers represent Jesus. Did you know that? Believers, if you're a follower of Christ, I'm going to call you a believer. And believers represent Jesus. Some believers represent Him very well, while others, well, not maybe not too well. But believers are to represent Jesus. And I found a great passage that correlates with that. At 2 Corinthians, Paul tells the church in Corinth, chapter 5, verse 20. I have it on screen. So we are Christ ambassadors. That's a synonym for a representative, an ambassador. But actually, it means something quite a bit more uh, in depth. To represent something is one thing, but to be an ambassador implies a whole different level. And I'll explain in a minute. So we are Christ's ambassadors. Remember, Paul's talking to believers. Therefore, he's talking to us. If you're a believer this morning, God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead. Come back to God. I don't know how many of you have prayed for your children, your grandchildren, your your spouse, your friends, where you've prayed for them in, in, in a sense, in an intense intercessory sense of pleading with God. God, move in their heart. Draw them back to you, Lord. They're heading in the wrong direction. God, wake them up get their attention, love on them. God, and some of you have prayed this prayer. Send a believer in their life, a man or a woman, send a friend, send a believer into their life to speak the truth to them, to love them because they're not listening to me. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Send somebody. Send a representative. Send an ambassador to change their life. I was thinking about that. I was thinking about that And and I know here in Menifee, we have a lot of military families, a lot of veterans here. I mean, we're right next to March Air Force Base. We're just a hop, skip, and a jump from Camp Pendleton, the Marine Base, and not too far from Navy bases on the coast and, and representation of the Navy there. And so we've got a lot of military influence here. And I was thinking about that. I was thinking, you know, who's the highest in authority in, in the construct of the military? It's the general. He has all the authority. Every, the chain of command just flows from the general. Would you agree with that? And I, different branches of the military have different terms for the low end of the totem pole, okay? The lower end of the chain of command. I know in the Air Force, it's airmen. In the Army, it's private. So I'm just going to use the vernacular of the army right now. So so we all know. Yeah, I think it, in the Marine Corps, it's a private as well. So the general has all the authority, right? Would you agree with that? And the private has the least amount of what? Authority. There's nobody under the private. They can't really tell anybody what to do, at least why they're working, right? But when does that private have the same authority as the general? Think about that. When does the private... Have the same authority as the general. Well, it's when the general gives that private an order, an edict, a command to carry out uh, an order, an edict, or a command. It's then and only then that private now carries the same authority, think about it, as the general, because he's been given a command by the general, and, and now whatever uh, that command needs to be implemented so any of the upper uh, rank can't speak against him or put that down. They have to follow through because he is or she is an ambassador, a representative of the general, carrying out an order. Does that make sense? Did you hear what I just said? Wow. Here's what Jesus did. If we back up to chapter 16, I have it on the screen. Matthew 16 19 says, Jesus says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. There's something going on with that language there. Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid, or some versions say, whatever you bind, on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. That's authority. And so, who is, um, who is it that has all authority in the universe? Who is it? It's God. God. Who has the least amount of authority? Man. Right? Would you agree with that? So you see the difference between the general and the private, or God, and not not implying that if you're a general, you're a God, but if you're in the military, you might as well be, right? If you've served in the military, you understand what I'm talking about. God has given us as believers His authority. We represent Him. And when He gives us a command or an edict, or, or direction, then we represent that. We are ambassadors. See, the, the difference between a representative or, or and an ambassador is the ambassador carries with him or her the authority. And we're, we're, um, you and I are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. He's given us authority. When we look at the last things that Jesus said in Matthew, which I just read to you, we're, we're given a command, it's the Great Commission, to tell everybody about the Lord. Now, I think some of the best messages, the best sermons are the ones that are, are seen in our life, not necessarily the words out of our mouth, right? There's a lot of different ways to tell people about Jesus and to love people into the kingdom of God. You can speak truth to them, you can live your life truthfully so they can see the the gospel in you and that opens up a whole plethora of conversations and you and i are ambassadors of jesus christ he's given us authority i was saying that in matthew what we just read our text today we see the great commission the command of what we're to do with the gospel and how to spread the gospel it's really interesting when you go to the book of mark chapter 16 the last chapter of mark you, you see a nuance to not only the authority that we've been given, but some of the tasks that Jesus said that the church can do in his name. Doing some of the same ministry that he did, casting out demons, and, and, and doing some supernatural things. It's amazing the authority that the church has. It really is. And, and what's more remarkable is when you understand as a believer who you're tied with, who you're connected with in Jesus' name, when you make that realization, you put up with far less distractions and nonsense from the enemy. Do you catch what I'm saying? You recognize that it's a, he's like a fly buzzing around your head. He's a distraction. And sometimes we buy into his lies and we, as I would say, and I've said this in the past, we dance with the devil for too long. When you have authority in Christ, you put him in his place under your feet. Amen? Amen. I'm reminded of a a time early on, early on, as the Lord was calling me into ministry, and I was um, involved in a prayer ministry. And um, that's a whole different story of how I got involved in a prayer ministry. But I had somebody who was kind of mentoring me and invited me to c- come and pray for this young child in our church. He was five years old and he had leukemia. And the doctor was uh, calling the parents in to have the talk. Things weren't good. And so we were scheduled to go up there and kind of be there available for mom and dad when they got out of the room to have that um, negative, horrific conversation with the doctor. And again, let me preface, I was a newbie in ministry. And so we get to the hospital, we get into the elevator, and we go up to the, pa- the pa- pediatric cancer uh, area for the kids. And we get out of the elevator, and I, it just it hit me. I'd never experienced anything like that you know we and we went to some of the rooms and and asked the parents if we could pray and just you know talk with them and and uh, we were very gentle and in our approach and careful and the kids i saw this one kid they all, most of them had bald heads but one was jump roping with the iv you know had one of those portable ivs and kids are kids are amazing they really are but i i'm watching all this stuff and and when we met with mom and dad after they were told, your son's going to die. It, there's no home. And so can you imagine I'm a newbie in ministry and, and, and dealing with that. And when we left, I got into the elevator. And the guy that I was with, he, he did uh, three tours of duty in Vietnam. One he had to. The two, other two he volunteered, which tells you the kind of person he was just an edgy, tough kind of guy, plus he was a Christian, my kind of guy, a tough Christian man. And I, when I got into the elevator with him as we were li- leaving, I, I just, I couldn't contain myself. I just started to weep. I'd never seen anything like that. Just seeing innocent children, innocent children going through the things and hearing them talk and they would call the doctors, the one putti- boy we prayed for, the five-year-old, he referred to doc- doctors and nurses as pokies which makes sense because every time they came into his room, they were poking at him. They were pokies. And, but it just hit me. It just hit me. And I, I broke down in the elevator and, and uh, uh, wasn't prepared for that. But we prayed for him. And I shared with my friend, and I wasn't sure if I shared it, we should share it or not, but God gave me this courage and gave me the green light to share it. And I shared with him, I said, you know, when we, when we were praying for this young boy, um, God told me, he, he ministered to my heart, okay, that he was going to heal that boy. Oh. And my friend said, well, Steve, you need to be careful because the parents just got told by the doctor he's not going to make it. And you, you really need to be careful with that information because... It could create a whole host of problems. And the family was already stressed. The husband and wife weren't, uh, they were about ready to separate. When you have situations like that in a household, it just brings a whole different level of stress. Stress on the marriage, and, and so it was there. And, 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 but I had this overwhelming sense that God uh, was going to heal this person, this young boy who was five years old, been told he's going to die. And that's not something that's happened often, but I knew I just God also gave me the sense that it, it, this was real. This was from Him. But I knew I needed to get body confirmation from other leaders in the church, and so I shared with them, and they all kind of said the same thing. But the whole church was praying and whatnot, and and I remember one day in service at the back the dad the father of this child came up to me and man he was he was mad at me and and he was ready to just take me out cuz the word got out that I said God's going to heal his son and that made him angry and so he, of course he's going through a lot of different m- emotions and i want you to know something it was an awkward moment but the lord just told me what to say to this man and i had my back against the wall just like, just like you, Rob. I had just like right where you're at is where I was in the church. And, and he came up to me and I thought we were going to blows. I mean, that's how angry he was. And the Lord said, just put impressed on me. And I looked right at him, his eyes and I said, I know how you're feeling right now. You're, you're angry at me, but I want you to know something. I'm going to stand here in confidence and I'm telling you, God's going to heal your boy and he's going to restore your marriage. And, man, he got so mad. Yeah, he was mad. He was mad. He didn't lay a hand on me, but I know he wanted to. And so next thing you know, I'm sitting in the pastor's office, right? Have you ever sat in the pastor's office? It's kind of like going to the principal's office, right? So I had some explaining to do. But I just said, you know, I... I I can't explain this away other than just saying God's impressed on my heart. He's going to heal this boy. And I I really believe it. I I believe God spoke to me and he's going to be healed. And so the whole church is praying for this young man. Sweet family. And guess what happened, folks? God healed, took the leukemia completely away from this boy. He's still alive today. God healed him. God healed him. Now, a lot of issues came up after that because I was called in and it's like, well, you know, the women's group was praying, the men's group was praying, the church was praying, the pastor was praying, and then you and Bobby went and prayed and stuff. So who, whose prayers healed them? They asked me that. They asked me that. Can you believe that? It's like this kid's been healed. And, and, and I, so my response was, God healed them. God healed them. The Bible says, when two or more are gathered together in my name, Jesus said this when you gather together, two or more gather together in his name, ask anything, I will do it. That's things pertaining to God's will. And there's times where we've prayed for people, and we just pray out of obedience. We don't know if God's going to heal them or change their situation or, or restore their marriage. We pray in obedience, God move in their life. But there are those moments, there are those moments that God gives you this word of knowledge that says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And what it does is it doesn't make you famous. It makes God famous. And it builds up your faith. It builds up your faith. Jesus told his disciples, the very things you saw me do, the three years that you walked with me, you're going to do. I'm going to work through you. It's not you. It's me working through you. Amen? Jesus' last words reveal the very heart of heaven that God is with us. Jesus said, when you go do this, I'm with you. I'm with you. And I'm going to bless you. Now, I want to tell you, there's been times we've prayed for people and they've been healed. How many of you have been healed by God? I have. I broke my back in 1992. I was a worship leader at the time. The week after I broke my back, I was in a wheelchair leading worship. The week after that, I was in a walker. The week after that, a cane, and I think I threw the cane off the stage (laughs) and stuff. God healed my back. You've experienced healing. God is the one that does the healing. And we've seen God move. We've come to a place in our society in a lot of churches where we say we believe God's word and we love the Lord, but we forget the fact that with God all things are possible. Now listen to this. Believers, you and I, are partners in the harvest. Partners in the harvest. And you might think, well, God doesn't need my help. when I say harvest, I'm implying, I'm referring to the fact that people need to get saved. There needs to be ministry. It's important that they find out how much God loves them, that he has a plan for their life. That's the harvest, and we're partners with God. And you might think that, well, God doesn't need my help. He can employ his, his angels, but you know what? All throughout history, God has used what? People. He's used people, and you might think you're not qualified, but God uses people, and he doesn't necessarily call the qualified. Look at the disciples. What a hodgepodge of, pe- of men. He qualifies the called. He uses imperfection. And his perfection flows through us at the right moment when he speaks to your heart and says, that person's going to be touched and moved and come to me and get healed and get saved. So we're partners with God. What a blessing. Jesus is inviting us to join him. And I want to end with this, kind of end with this. Believers are to disciple. So what part of? are you and I doing or making in in this discipleship process? And I want to briefly list a handful of uh, activities that you and I need to be involved with. But first of all, you can't disciple anybody until first you're saved. It makes no sense. It's like telling somebody about a movie you've never seen (laughs) or a steak you've never eaten. So first, you've got to be saved. You've got to make sure you've been saved. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. As Jesus said, be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then you join in. But listen, parents, grandparents, listen to me. Anyone concerned about the destiny of their children, their grandchildren, anybody that's concerned about the destiny of their neighbors or their friends, hear me out, listen to me. The first step in fulfilling the Great Commission and disciple all nations, is to become a disciple yourself. And you might be thinking this morning, well, pastor, that's your job. That's what we pay you for. That's your job. We just show up every Sunday to hear how it's going <laughs> with your job. But listen, I like what Paul said in Ephesians. He, Paul wrote a letter to the church in Ephesus, and he's talking to believers. In Ephesians chapter 4, he says, List the callings of God, you know, pastor, teacher, evangelist, prophet, okay, for the equipping of the saints. God has called the leadership of the church, the pastors, to equip the saints. That's you. Can you say me? Me. That's you. To equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So listen, you're supposed to be doing all the work, not me. <laughs> Let me just rephrase that. We are... Join together as a team of believers. Amen? Amen. And and listen, by catch this. I'm not more important than you. And you're not more important than me. We work together. We're a team to spread the good news of the gospel. God has called us to work collectively together, and God's gifted you. You have gifts. There's ministries in this church right now that are not taking place because you're the person that should be leading it. You're the person that's got the gift. And there's other ministries that are going that, you know, some people have that gift of service and they'll just step up to the plate. If nobody shows up, they'll show up and fill in the gaps. But it's waiting on you. Amen. We work and do this together. But first, you've got to be saved. And then you recognize that you're a disciple and that the harvest is plentiful. The secondly is this pray. We have to pray. We have to pray. I've asked you to join me every evening at 714. Not here. Somebody said, well, what time at the church? No, 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 no. No, it's not here. It's wherever you're at. You might be driving. You might be at the grocery store. You could be watching TV, wherever. At 714 every evening, I want you to join me. Consider joining me and my wife praying for revival. That's the, that's the answer you know, we've got an election coming up here, right? It's going to get crazy. It's already crazy. The world's crazy. There's threat of World War III. The answer is not a politician or a policy. The answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. And so we're praying at 714. Why 714? fourteen? Second Chronicles 714. If my people would humble themselves and pray and repent of their sins, I will hear from heaven and heal their land. Does our land need healing? Does our land need healing? And so 714 every evening, I'm asking you to join me wherever you're at to pray for our nation, to pray for the world, for revival that people come to Christ. Listen, it's not about religion. It's not about religion. I don't like labels. Pastor, are you a Calvinist or an Armenian? Are, are you Catholic Baptist. I mean, I, I don't get you because you say you grew up in the Catholic Church and your fa- fact your dad was in seminary to be a priest before he married my mom. I had to, I had to throw that in there. <laughs> Mom's watching right now. We, we can't figure you out. Are you Baptist? Sometimes it seems like you're Pentecostal. It's like, I don't like labels. Can I just be a follower of Jesus Christ and, and, and not have those labels? Can you be a follower of Jesus Christ? Because when we stand before the Lord, it's like, well, hey, I was a good Baptist or I was a good Catholic or I was a good Pentecost. That doesn't matter. It doesn't. The only thing that matters is the only way to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. John fourteen six. He's the only way. And so it's a relationship with Jesus, and we have to pray that people come to Christ. We have a job to do. Paul said, devote yourself to prayer, be watchful and thankful, and pray for us. Paul said, pray for us, that God may open a door for our message. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Paul, the apostle who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, was asking for prayer that God would speak to and through him. So maybe we should be praying, God, speak to us and let us see opportunities with our friends and our neighbors. Let us recognize the time to say, hey, it's the Lord that did this in my life. And give proclamation about the Lord. And we can pray for our neighbors and those opportunities to, for God to nudge us and speak through us in our life when people see that we're going through difficulties, which we all do go through difficulties. And they see how we handle them and they say, How did you get through that? And you can be honest and say, I, You know, it was tough. It was the toughest thing I've ever experienced in my life. Had it not been for the Lord Jesus and my relationship, I don't think I would have got through. Amen. But here's the trick, folks when you're going through hell, you got to keep going, man. You got to keep going. You don't want to get stuck there, and you don't want to stop and sightsee. You want to get through as fast as you can. Lickety split. You want to get through that hellish situation, that difficulty, that pain. Then on the other side of that test, you've got a what? A testimony. And you can encourage someone else. I want to wrap this up right now. I've got five things I want to share with you to wrap up. And then we're going to pray. Number one, make sure you're right with God. Make sure you're right with God. Number two, pray to grow in the things of God. Uh, Let me just stop there. If you have Christ in your heart and you love the Lord, you want to spend time with Him. This is God's love letter to us. You want to spend time in the Word. If you love the Lord, you want to spend time with the Lord. Think about when you fell in love the first time. When I met my wife, Catherine, I fell in love with her. I didn't stalk her, <laughs> but I certainly wanted to spend every moment with her. And that was back in the day when didn't have cell phones, right? We had telephones. And that's back in the day. They weren't even push button. They were one of those kind of dial, rotary <laughs> dial, right? But you know what we used to do? We used to write letters. She still has a box full of love letters. I used. Can you imagine me writing a love letter? I used to write my wife love letters. We dated th- almost four years before we got married. I wrote her love letters. She wrote me love letters. And once in a while, her mom would let us talk on the phone. <laughs> Joyce is here, and you can go ask her. I don't think... Uh, Joyce and Pastor Neil liked me too much. I wasn't what they had wanted for their daughter, really, because I had long hair and I looked kind of wild. And they've turned out to be my parents. They love me. I love them more, but they love me. And Neil became a dad to me and stuff. That God did that. But I couldn't. I, I just wanted to spend time all the time. And when I fell in love with Jesus, I wanted to spend time with the Lord. I went on a voracious reading expedition of reading the Word of God when I first got saved. Just reading the Word, studying the Word. I wanted to know everything about the Lord. I fell in love with Jesus, and I wanted to know why He loved me, because I wasn't very lovely. And He changed my life, and if He can change my life, He can change anybody's life. So you want to make sure, number one, you're right with God. Number two, pray to grow in the things of God. Pray. God, give me a taste. Give me a desire to grow, to want to read the Word of God, to go to Bible study. There's nothing on TV. There's nothing on social media that's more important than a Bible study or going to church. Amen? Amen. And then number three, pray for others. A lot of times we pray for ourselves. We're praying for the situation we're in. And I have found when you start praying for other people, God seems to answer your prayers. He seems to to fill in the gaps and meet the needs that you have, maybe even needs that you didn't even pray about because you're too busy praying for others. You're concerned about the welfare, the spiritual welfare, the eternity that your friends and your loved ones may or may not have. That's number three, pray for others. Number four is disciple. Mentor someone, encourage someone. I've met people who say, well, I've been a Christian for 30 years. And they couldn't find the book of Philippians if I gave them 60 seconds to try and find it. It's not how long you've known the Lord. Grow spiritually in the things of God. Commit yourself and then start discipling. And what's number five? Do you see it? Can you say it? Repeat. Say it so everybody online can hear you. Repeat. Repeat. So... Number one is make sure you're right with God. Number two, pray to grow in the things of God. Number three, pray for others. Number four, disciple. Number five is repeat. We repeat what? Number one, make sure you're right with God, pray to grow in things of God. Number three, pray for others. Number four, disciple. Number five, repeat. Repeat what? Number one, make sure you're right with God. Number two, pray to grow in the things of God. Number three, pray for others. Number four, disciple. Number five, what? Must I go on? Please know <laughs> I think you get it. I think you get it and, and it's it's really that simple it's really that simple. now listen, I think some of you are caught up on the story that I told about when we prayed for that five year old kid that was told he was going to die of leukemia, and God healed him, God healed the marriage, God healed that family and and God got the credit, although other, other people were trying to give credit to other people and even me, it's like, no, 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 God gets the credit. Amen. And I think some of you got caught up on that story thinking, "Well, I want Pastor Steve to pray for me." <laughs> Maybe you're going through something, a health situation. Maybe uh, you need healing. God, God, you want God, or you desire God to move in that area of your life. Maybe you need healing in a relationship, and you're hurting. Maybe it's something emotional that you're going through, spiritual that you're going through, whatever it is. Some of you, if not maybe all of you, need God to work in an area in a miraculous way in your life. Or maybe you have a wayward child or grandchild that you're extremely concerned about. Somebody in your family doesn't have a relationship with the Lord and you're concerned about their eternity as you should be. And you need God to work in a supernatural way. I think everybody here has something going on. And you need a miracle. And I want to pray for you, but I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. Twice I've shared a verse with you. I don't know if you caught it, but Jesus said where two or more are gathered together in my name, If you ask anything, I will do it. Jesus said that. Those are the words of our Lord and Savior. And as I stated earlier, just a moment ago, there's an area in your life that you, maybe more than one area, that you would certainly be joyful if God did something supernatural, miraculous to change that situation for the better. If that's you this morning, I'm going to ask you to do two things. And I won't embarrass anybody. If you're online, I'm asking you this. If you're out in the courtyard, the same goes for you, those here in the sanctuary. If you desire for God to do a miracle in your life or someone that you want to stand for, I want you to stand right now. Just stand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm just going to ask you to stand right where you're at. If you're watching online, certainly if you're driving, I don't want you to do this. But if you're watching online, you're in a situation where you can, I want you to stand up. The other thing I'm going to ask you to do is, and it might seem kind of silly, but the Lord put this on my heart, put your hand on top of your head. Just put your hand on... See, in the Old Testament scriptures, even you'll see this in the book of James as well. Those who are sick amongst you, come to the elders, the leaders of the church, they'll lay, so they can lay hands on you, that you may be healed. That, not that you might be healed, that you may be healed. And then in, throughout the Old Testament scriptures, we see evidence of people who needed God to move powerfully in their life, and they would go to the leaders. And so you're here right now. Where you stand is the altar. So, Lord, you know every person's situation. You know every miracle that needs to be had. Lord, we look to you. We understand your word tells us clearly that through God, all things are possible. There are individuals here watching online that are hurting. They're hurting. They're struggling. And you understand that, God. There are those who've been told by the doctor some grim news, very concerning news, or waiting to hear news. And it's causing anxiety. They're overthinking. It's creating stress. There are those who have broken relationship with a loved one. I can't think of anything more painful in a broken relationship. And the Lord knows the depth of your pain and He knows your need. So God, we stand before You right now in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We lay our hand on our head. And we pray the blood of Jesus Christ to touch us from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. Lord, we lift up the physical, the health issues that need healing. We ask that you would do a miracle. We pray the blood of Jesus over those areas. We speak to that assignment that the enemy may have on us, any assignments that he has on us or our family, we render ineffective by the blood of Jesus Christ right now to be no more. The enemy doesn't have a foothold. He has no longer a right to work on our life or our family's life. We declare that in Jesus' name, not by our own power, but by the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that flows through us. Lord, we pray for those who need a miracle in relationship, broken relationship, Lord, that you would restore. Do a miracle, Lord God. Bring not only health and healing, but Lord, bring salvation to those who we are standing for right now. They would come to a vibrant relationship with you, Jesus. And Lord, your word says clearly we're two more gathered together, so we are here gathered in your name. With you, God, all things are possible. And Lord, we thank you in advance for hearing our prayer in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Can you give the Lord a hand? Amen. 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 Now, listen, remain standing. The praise team is going to close us in a song. I am excited to hear the praise reports that are going to come out of today's services. I'm excited about that because I believe what's going to happen is you're going to have a praise report, and then we're going to have testimony time that test that you're in, that struggle that you're in, that's going to encourage someone when they hear that you prayed and that God moved. He met that need. He did that miracle. And that's going to encourage those who are feeling hopeless right now. And maybe before you got here, you were feeling hopeless. But right now, through the Holy Spirit, you're hope-filled. Amen? Amen. Let's praise the Lord right now. God bless you.